0: Introduction. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. Many Christians, perhaps most Christians, secretly feel like their faith isn't working. They aren't living the dream, feeling rest in their soul, or experiencing Jesus' burden as light. Many more have tried Christian faith and say it didn't work for them. Others feel spiritually stuck or torn. Many Christians, if they were totally honest, would say they feel a little or a lot resentful toward God for His standards and for His silence in their confusion, and all of these groups might tell you they didn't know why they feel the way they do. but they count it as evidence that Christian faith is well-meaning, but probably false. How about you? If you're a Christian, how do you really feel about your life with God? Do you feel choked and smothered? Feel fearful, anxious, or worried? Feel resentful toward God or faith? Feel worn out, fragile, or ready to explode? Crave novelty, delicacy, amusement, or the exotic in order to be happy? feel a lack of fulfillment in regular tasks responsibilities and roles feel constantly distracted like your attention is fractured sense that you become burrowed into your preferences feel like friendships are shallow and few people really know you people who feel these things often think people like me pastors are just going to tell them you need to try harder and really make a commitment you need to believe deeper try harder do more Does the thought of hearing that make you feel choked, smothered, and attacked? In fact, that's not what I would say to most people. I wouldn't say it because it's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the reason so many of us are unproductive or terribly discouraged in our faith is that our faith is being strangled. Our real faith is being slowly choked by a second religion we believe in as devoutly as we believe in Christ, one that the Bible calls worldliness. We'll discuss this idea at length in this book, but the basic reality of worldliness is that it makes creation, as opposed to its creator, our primary focus and an end in itself. This distortion has disastrous effects on every part of life, and in our present secular culture it's growing and maturing. Meanwhile, American Christians have come to ignore the whole phenomenon. To many, lamenting worldliness sounds fundamentalist and embarrassingly unsophisticated. Yet, Jesus treats the world's version of sophistication as evasion, not growth. It's a predictable human self-deception, which is itself, ironically, a form of worldliness. Jesus pulls no punches about worldliness. Worldliness is choking us, and it's the source of all the feelings of dissatisfaction and fear we listed earlier, along with a hundred more. In Mark 4, Jesus tells about a field in which good seed is planted and is growing healthy plants— Some of the seed gets eaten by birds and never grows. Some of it sprouts, but because it's planted in gravel, it withers away immediately. Still about half the seed grows into real plants. These plants represent people who have put their faith in Him. Why doesn't the other half produce any fruit, though? Here's what Jesus tells us. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word. That's a perfect description of worldliness, the thing that is choking our faith. This is the cause of many of the symptoms that plague us. The problem isn't with faith or the Savior. The problem is that the good plant in us is getting strangled, Jesus is getting at the conflict all of us face every day, the conflict between gospel faith and worldliness. Most people know Jesus is against legalism and man-made religion. We're against those things too, so that's obvious to us. What people often miss is that he says even more about worldliness. He doesn't just tell us the symptoms and results, choking and unfruitfulness. He tells us the true cause and cure. In Jesus' most famous sermon, he talks about the root of the conflict. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own Matthew chapter 6 verses 24 through 34 The point of this whole text with all its emphasis on trusting God and not worrying is bound up in the first verses the rest is all commentary on one simple sentence No one can serve two masters This is essentially the main focus of substance We have volunteered ourselves for dehumanizing servitude to a master who has no claim over us and is keeping us from being fully alive and free under the reign of our true and good master, God. This book is about seeing with eyes wide open, facing beasts within and without, and finding the true freedom for which we were lovingly and joyfully created. An engine will not run without fuel. In our confusion and pain, we assume that our tank is empty and resent Jesus for not filling it. But our problem is not that our engine is empty. Our problem is that we're mixing God's fuel with the water of worldliness. Gas mixed with water doesn't burn. It offers no power, only a choking sputtering that leaves the driver angry, frustrated, and confused. Drain the tank and refill it with pure fuel, and she'll burn. Jesus is calling us away from being fragile, brittle, and diminished into something else. He's calling us to substance. We are burdened not by his invitation to godliness, but by our own worldliness. Our backs have been broken not by God, but by our own idols, and these idols have left us tired, broken, and diminished. They keep us in a state of conflictedness in our devotion to Jesus, aggravating our anxieties and banishing any peace. It is to us in this state that Jesus says again, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30 Come to me, he says, and reject your false slavery to the world. Come out of the choking stranglehold of worldliness that makes you thin, fragile, and brittle. He promises rest for your soul, an easy or well-fitted backpack and a seemingly light load. He doesn't say it here, but He makes His yoke light by making us strong. Once we are no longer being choked, we can flourish in fruitful substance. We will grow to be more than spindly stalks. He will make us into vines so robust that we will not break even under the weight of a hundredfold increase of fruit. Have you heard what the prophet Isaiah said salvation would do to broken and fragile people? Through Isaiah, God promises to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Isaiah 61 verse 3. He didn't just say Jesus would save us from our choked and fragile condition. He said redemption would make us oaks of righteousness to a mature oak tree Every burden is light. This book is meant to follow the path laid out in Scripture, leading to the fulfillment of this promise. One Spitten, Twice Shy Before we get started, I want to anticipate briefly two objections. First, you may be thinking that it can't be this simple. You think, really? That's the answer? Kill worldliness and become substantive? Haven't I been doing that all along? I've heard a hundred versions of this in church. Just repent and trust God and things will get better. Honestly, I've thought the same thing before. I'm skeptical too. I feel once bitten, twice shy toward every this-is-going-to-be-great Christian push and church campaign. But in praying and thinking about this for a few years in my own life, I am continually bumped up against the same unavoidable fact. This is what Jesus says the issue is. The Bible tells us that whenever our flesh is allowed to live, it will invite love of the world back in through some form we don't want to notice. Before we know it, it's choking us again, and we can't figure out how it happened. The problem isn't that the path out is complicated. The problem is that admitting our fragility when we're supposed to be mature is humiliating. We're not nearly as sophisticated as we think we are. If we believe in Jesus, we probably have grown in maturity over time. The problem is that our maturity is uneven, and as we'll see in chapter 10, wherever we aren't being vigilant, that's where we'll be conquered by worldliness. Thorns and weeds are always regrowing in a new spot. Worldliness will rush in while our own flesh holds open the door. Is facing worldliness and growing in spiritual substance a simple answer? Yes, it is simplistic. No, simple doesn't mean easy, obvious, or reductionist, and sometimes the simple answer may seem impossible. That brings us to the second possible objection. One might wonder, if we've not yet rejected worldliness, why do we think this book will make any difference? Sure, worldliness may be choking us, but the world has provided us with a lot of comfort, excitement, and enjoyment. Jesus says we can somehow find rest for our soul, but we already know exactly where to find a pumpkin spice latte, nice fitting jeans, exciting video games, and indoor plumbing. Maybe the tension between worldliness and Jesus is just a tension that we have to manage. Maybe they just need to be a little compartmentalized. That notion rests on a confusion between the idolatry of worldliness and the good of creation. Through substance, God gives us a creation to steward and enjoy. Worldliness uses and perverts creation. Worldliness isn't science. It's cooking meth. Worldliness is not the enjoyment of creation and creativity. Worldliness is making these things primary and an end in themselves. Making anything in creation an end in itself puts a burden on it that it was never designed to bear. In the end, we ruin the thing and ourselves. My prayer for this book is that God will use it to reveal to us the slavery we've inflicted on ourselves and renew our hunger for the things of God, virtue, substance, true freedom, genuine fellowship with God and man, and love in its truest, most breathtaking fullness.